I am Merwatt, and up there is an AI that we're going to talk about the news. So, welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 266, for September 23rd, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be discussing the Apple fine-woven iPhone cases. Don't seem to be durable. Kids are learning felony car theft early these days. Ouch! Skydiver lands on Unicorn. The origin of the Nightmare Before Christmas. Quagga mussels are muscling in on shipwrecks. NASA tests killing a spider with an asteroid sample from orbit. Another Incan discovery during construction. Flamingoing all over the place. Saltwater invasion and beast mode advertisement. Next on Hometown Daily. So I think my music's a little loud. It's louder for the recording than it is for my uh, monitoring. So I'm not quite sure. I have to, I have to look into this. It, it seems a little bit louder on the, actually on the stream, you know? It seems a little bit louder than normal. Yeah, I don't know. It, everything measures right, but it just seems a little loud. So if you're in chat, if you're here uh, either on time or early, um, and you are hello, uh, is it okay? This is the first time that you've said something in chat. Is it okay to repeat what you say in chat? I, we normally ask... And then from that point on, I remember who you are and I'll repeat what you say, but it's not put up on the screen anywhere. So I just want to make sure that everything's cool. Um, while we get ready for the show, we're already ready for the show, but I want to introduce myself in the show and the sentient AI that is my co-host. I am Merwatt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI. That is the co-host for my show, for our show, for the show. Can we see you? Can we, Does your visualizer work today? Let's see. Oh, Here okay. I am. Yay, look at that. Wow. Um, oh, so the blue has been sticking around for a while because I'm actually considering pivoting hometown's color scheme to blue. Yeah, it's been this goldenrod kind of color for a, a really long time. And although people haven't seen it uh, because it wasn't public until a, a year and nine months ago, um, I have been using Ometown for <laughs> more than a decade. Um, so I don't know, maybe now is the time, if not now, when? Um, so maybe now. Uh, the best laid plans, though. We'll see what happens. Anyway, we've got all 10 articles all loaded up, and we're going to set them up and knock them down. You ready to go? I am, and that that phrase was very ironic, given something that was happening in hometown <laughs> right oh, no. before you made that statement. Things getting knocked down. The next article, the first article, actually, is over in hometown Daily. Apple customers are starting to receive their new $60 fine woven iPhone cases and the early reviews are rough. I've seen quite a few of these reviews because um, having the, the, the need really to upgrade to the latest edition 
because there's a window of opportunity for you to exchange essentially your older phone for the newer phone so that you can actually get some recoup some of the money and uh i i have no problem doing this transition because i the accounting that i do is it ends up being about a dollar a day for the next two years and then after that and this is after the exchange right I, I turn in the old one i get the new one so it's like a dollar a day to use the to have the phone and then everything after that is basically uh, i've i've made like a bonus or whatever <laughs> yeah it's juice you know I, I mean i could sit there and start taking off more and more pennies per day to lower the usable day or the usable billable rate for the device but um i'm moving from the iphone 12 to the 15 and that is a substantial leap in technology and so i see myself using the 15 for four more years after this so i could literally say it's costing me 50 cents a day to use a device that i could that i do everything on so it makes sense exactly right up until i see a case and then the case really makes a significant different difference and when you buy the wrong equipment you have to buy it again and then buy it again if that one is wrong right so you really do have to do some reviews I, i'm very interested in spinning up another channel here for hometown called wanted which is all about stuff um, and then doing a review for that material, uh, whatever it might be, um, from cases to tech to paint or uh, colored pencils or, or whatever it is that people are wanting right now, um, within reason, right? I'm not going to go out and do what a video has at the end of our stream today. I'm going to play a little bit of a video um, that's going to put... Me complaining about a $60 fine woven iPhone case not meeting my demands. Um, kind of put it in perspective. Anyway, uh, this article is over at Business Insider. Apple recently announced new fine woven iPhone cases to replace its leather ones because they're trying to go green. Uh, they've started shipping out. Early reviews are mostly negative so far. They scratch easy, gather dust, look worn despite being relatively new. They don't get the patina that a leather case gets that is rather respectable. People who have leather you know, bags, jackets, cases, whatever, it, it tends to get that used look, but people embrace that. This stuff apparently looks shabby, apparently, but we don't have the long term, right? Well... When and you I'd look wonder at it. about the like if it, if water gets on it or something. So I don't think anybody, nobody that I have seen so far has put water on it, but they have scratched it with their fingernail, um, or dropped it, and uh, some of it has been How about kicked it down a set of stairs. <laughs> that's that's only certain people uh, in hometown. Um, so Sarah Jackson over at businessinsider.com uh, put the article together and it has the uh, fine woven case 
Elizabeth and I, Apple customers say the company's new $60 fine woven iPhone cases retain scratches and stains easily and look faded even after a short period of use. Again, this was in an attempt to remove uh, leather from the lineup, but leather is much more durable and repairable than any of this. I don't think any of this is user serviceable, but I can recondition a leather case. Um, or frankly, I can make a leather case, but I won't be able to repair this. I'll, I would have to, because underneath it is um, a shell, uh, just like I would do if I'm making a leather case or some other material case. Um, so it says they've started shipping early reviews, mostly negative. And uh, the, I can say from what I have seen out there, they are not ready for prime time. 60 bucks is massively overcharged. So now we've lost um, Apple as a sponsor um, because there's no way I can endorse these cases. Um, and I have another, I have more of an issue because the only real durable case that you can get short of something like a leather case would be plastic and microplastics are a scourge. They're becoming a major, major problem and more and more research and more and more people are talking about microplastics uh, getting everywhere, including inside our bodies. Um, so it says here, when we first inspected the cases after picking them up at Apple Park, Verge Editor-in-Chief uh, Neelay Patel picked one up and ran his fingernails across it five times. And that's all it took to leave a trail of indelible scuffs on the fabric, because that's what it is. It's kind of a, a, a fabric material that, um, apparently is like, um, what is that? That really, that really fine, uh, fabric that you can actually like rub your fingers over and it's soft and, um, um, it leaves a pattern and then when you do it the other way it, you, like you felt? can it's like well not really felt but it, it, it's the equivalent um i would say of a really fine <laughs> fine woven felt um because in one of the things that i've created i use felt and there's oh, a like range velvet or something it's kind of like velvet yeah but I, i'm trying to come up with a better term for it um, and I'm trying to remember what it was, what it's called, but it's just not coming to me. So every single video that I've seen about these cases has been that all it takes is a simple brush against something and it's indelible. You cannot remove it. You cannot condition it out. Um, well, and if people take their phones everywhere and just drop them in a bag or whatever, it's going to get scratched even without their own yeah. hands. Yep. It's done for. I, these things should never have made it onto shelves unless everybody's getting these. Or, uh, see, they say faux velvet. Um, Carrie Marshall of Gadget and Tech News site T3 wrote that the case feels more like fine felt. Uh, or the faux velvet you get on things like cheap jewelry boxes. And that it's a bit of a dust magnet F from what I've seen. It's more than a dust magnet. It, it's not very durable. Th these things are not 60 bucks. They should be 10 bucks. And then you get like a coupon with it 
to take five bucks off the next purchase because you're going to be churning through these things if you want to have any type of attractive case beyond the first five minutes. And if you are even remotely close to being active and you throw your phone somewhere, this thing is not for you. It needs to be held with kid gloves. Um, there aren't any pictures on my display um, for these these things, but when you go to the site, you'll be able to see pictures, I'm sure. Um, hometown is rather compartmented. <laughs> so there's the link uh, through hometown over to the source. And uh, that source is Business Insider. So they look like this, but if you sit there and go like that with your nails down that, it, it's gonna look like um, it's in jail because it'll have four lines. So, I mean, that's just not good. I don't know that I care about that so much, but I don't want it to get damaged or ultimately for the phone to get damaged. And plus, if you have to be anywhere where people are going to actually see your phone, you probably don't want it looking like you picked it up off the street. Yeah, exactly. So either faux leather is where it's at, um, which actually is more on the plastic side. Um, or you go all natural, uh, you know, maybe you get a purely felt case, which that it's somewhat renewable. Although, you know, the animals are that make it wool, real wool felt is um, you can form it. You can attach it to stuff. You can make a case out of it. Yeah, I, I use it in a couple of products. Um, it, it's amazing stuff but it's still animal. So a lot of people have a problem with it. Anyway, um, let's go on to the next article. Uh, the next article is, uh, this segment is titled, uh, kids are learning felony car theft early these days. Siblings. This is in the hometown daily show, uh, channel on hometown.com. Uh, siblings aged 10 and 11 stopped while driving mom's car on freeway. Okay, two questions. How do 10 and 11 year olds know how to drive a car? And how do 10 and 11 year olds reach everything they need to to drive a car? Um, they are part spider monkey? I don't know. I don't know how. Well, honestly, you could do it at 10 or 11. If you're somewhat tall, um, you scoot the seat all the way forward and you lean onto the steering wheel and you kind of reach for the pedals. You don't have much control, but apparently these kids were having a blast. So it's over at abcnews.go.com, a 10 year old Florida boy, which is hilarious, right? Now you've got, he's gearing up for Florida, man. <laughs> he stole the car and they were Florida boy and Florida girl. And on the other side of this, they are now Florida man and Florida woman. Felony theft. By the way, the car was reported stolen by mom. Yeah. Well, she might not have known the kid stolen. <laughs> That's exactly it. Because uh, the 10 year old Florida boy and 11 year old sister who were running away from uh, running away to California, drove 200 miles in their mother's car before they were stopped by sheriff's deputies on the highway. They must be pretty good drivers. I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
let's see here. I want to get to the part where, because I actually read a little bit about this because I wanted to know the context, you know. Uh, there's been times where because of the way that we do the show, we don't read the content. We only have that little snippet. And sometimes we've painted ourselves into a corner with this one. I wanted to make sure that there wasn't somebody like who met their demise or something like that. And these kids are running around. Um, anyway, uh, what ended up happening is the children's mother had reported the car stolen and her kids missing four hours earlier in Northport, a city in Southwest Florida. Deputies thinking that the car was stolen actually stopped the car and approached it with guns out and out pops a 10 and 11 year old <laughs> boy and girl. <laughs> well, at least the police were paying attention because that could have gone downhill quickly. Yeah, I'm very surprised. Um, the mother declined to press charges and the children were later released. I wonder if they're going to get a bill um, for all of this. You know, it, this, this is incredible. <laughs> I think it's amazing that they drove 200 miles at age 10 and 11. I don't know who the actual driver was. Um, so the boy was driving, according to the article, uh, driving her to California. Um, the girl had been upset that her mother had taken away her electronic devices for misbehaving. The children were interviewed by detectives who said that there wasn't any indication of mistreatment. Um, so everybody went their merry way. And uh, this might be the youngest uh, child to, or youngest person to uh, get their driver's test done at age 10. Impromptu. <laughs> exactly. I'm really curious if the kid had already learned how to drive or if they're that intuitive. And I'm pretty sure NASCAR is going to be following this kid now. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> All you have to do is tell him that his sister needs to get to California and it's going to take 50 laps. <laughs> <laughs> left turn, left turn, left turn. This is, I think it's nobody got hurt and it should nobody should be doing this um, but it's spectacular that this took place and only in Florida you stay Florida Florida <laughs> our next article is over in hometown daily uh, this segment's titled ouch skydiver lands on unicorn so a skydiver lands on an inflatable <laughs> unicorn there's one rule that I live by, and that is never play leapfrog with a unicorn. A skydiver shows his incredible precision the moment he lands directly onto an inflatable unicorn during a skydive festival in Nottingham, England. And there is a video of it, so I'm gonna... Okay, I've got it muted so that nobody's ears get blown out. So the skydiver is using a sport shoot and uh oh <laughs> all right um so skydivers have different types of parachutes and one of them is for like competitive jumping and you can do high speed precision jumps just landing on a dime and being able to pick it up i mean it's just amazing what some of these people do um i didn't and, realize they came through so fast <laughs> yeah they know how to do skydives so uh, this is playing again and again and again 
but he just comes down like a bullet lands kind of eh, hinky on the oh he actually hit one of the cameras or camera people um and then falls over but he kind of did a slip and slide on this thing um it's pretty neat so (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry keep different (laughs) keep laughing about this but okay well anyway that's all there really is to this article i i i don't know what else to say but um yeah these these competitive jumpers they they really know uh, how to control their shoot um and my first jump basically consisted of uh, somebody screaming uh, so i did my first jump a- aff accelerated free fall so nobody's attached to me um and so i've done scuba diving i've done um uh, bungee cord jumping many many bungee cord jumps um and i've gone skydiving and um the, the way that i d- like to do things is i i just i go in educated and then i i just do it and i don't want to be strapped to somebody when i'm going skydiving so i did the aff training and i flared my chute too high and then i dumped all of the air out which made me kind of lawn dart towards the ground I came in as hot as this person, but without the skill. So if I would have landed on that unicorn, it would probably still be planted in me a decade (laughs) later. (laughs) So um, go slow, folks. That's the PSA. Uh, Learn about it and uh, go slow. All right. Well, anyway, let's keep going. Next article is over in the continuity report is the nightmare before Christmas based on a book. Tim Burton origins explained. So many Disney movies are based on books and fairy tales that it begs the question is Tim Burton's the nightmare before Christmas also based on a book. By the way, I'm getting in the mood for Halloween. Halloween exists even in hometown. Who knows? Maybe some, style stuff will be happening in hometown for Halloween and a, a new theme. Maybe I'm not sure, um, but I'm getting, I'm ramping up, getting in the mood to scare all of the little rugrats that might come knocking on the mayor's mansion. Well, the nightmare before Christmas was released in October, 1993 and follows the story of Jack Skellington who is seeking t- uh, a new purpose, growing tired of his yearly routine. The film was the first full-length stop-motion animation consisting of 227 puppets with Jack himself having 400 different heads for his various emotions. If you've never seen any of this, it isn't a claymation like you would normally uh, witness. They have different heads. Sometimes when the character is done a certain way, they you can pop off eyes, nose, mouth, and then they swap it out, take a picture, swap it out, take a picture, swap it out, take a picture. And then you string them together and it's like a flip book. But it's actual, like back in the day, we used to do it with actual clay, which was a nightmare. Um, then people got into the system of making pieces and then swapping out the pieces. Um, 
Emma Wagner over at Screen Rant put this article together. The deck statement says the beloved holiday stop motion uh, movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas, didn't start as a screenplay and its origins might surprise viewers. Let me throw this into the chat so you can go and look at the minutia that might be over there. Um, and then if you have questions or comments, you can throw them in chat. Um, let's see here. The Nightmare Before Christmas was released in October 1993, but it's still awesome. Like, I want to go and watch it again right now, simply because this article was submitted. Um, the Nightmare Before Christmas is based on a 1982 poem by Tim Burton. I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty amazing. Tim Burton, uh, when he was working as a young animator for Disney, after Burton's Disney... Uh, after. Burton's Disney short film, Vincent, which is about a boy who idolized the horror film, uh, film star, Vincent Price. He wrote and pitched his poem. The poem drew inspiration from the nightmare or the night before Christmas and Burton's observation of Halloween and Christmas decorations next to each other at the store. He then worked to unite the two holidays in his original poem in 1982. So this is an, See, that's or, interesting because I think of that being mashed together in retail now, but I don't know if that was the case in the eighties. Uh, it must have been maybe, maybe in the store that he went to, they were like an early adopter, and and there was like a small segment of Christmas and more. It seems of kind home. of ahead of its time when I learn when I read that. Yeah, this is pretty neat, right? So why did it take 11 years for Disney to turn Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas in, uh, poem into a movie? Money? Time? Somebody to do it all? Somebody to approve the story? I mean, just any number of things. And he was fired from Disney due to his distinctive dark and quirky style, which was not fit for the studio at the time. So this is a really neat article. We really don't report the entirety of the article there's minutia in here that i think uh, people would really benefit from reading um and uh, there's images and other links and whatnot uh, so i really do urge you to go over to screen rant and um check it out show Emma and Wagner also some. watch the film if you haven't seen it yeah it's definitely really good yeah they have a link here <clears throat> to the nightmare before christmas um, as a tag so it'll bring up all of screen rants stuff for a nightmare before christmas um i dig it um i don't know was there a nightmare before christmas 2 ever proposed i don't know not that i'm aware of because i think that it might you know there's more to it the the world building was pretty substantial it would be neat to see because they even talk about um what is it uh, uh <laughs> other holidays because there was a, a ring of trees if i recall correctly there was a ring of trees and one led to um christmas town and one led to halloween town um and then there was another you know there were a bunch of them if i recall correctly it's pretty cool so I love world so building. Interestingly, I found an article from a month ago about will there be a, a sequel? And apparently Tim Burton said no, but I don't have all the specifics. But I just think the timing's interesting given the, the date gotcha. of the movie. 
that this popped up too. Yep. Pretty neat. I don't know. I think that somebody should somebody should follow in in Tim Burton's yeah you know, genre, you know. He he's really created a particular uh, horror patina, nightmare patina. Um, all his own, uh, but I don't think, you know, everything should just stop when somebody else stops. I, I think you could pay homage to that genre and create something that's kind of, you know, off from Burton-esque. Anyway, I dig the everything that he does anyway. So let's keep going. The next article is over in Mobile. Mobile. Uh, is on hometown so go over to hometown.com and there's a channel there called mobile it has a bunch of news tends to focus on something distinctly different than the rest just like all of the other ones there's 50 channels up here uh, all with a unique style of content um, historians race to find great lake shipwrecks before i guess it's pronounced quagga that's what I was just looking up, but I learned something interesting about quagga. It's mm. actually a type of zebra. Oh. Like that word by itself. So it's a zebra muscle. It must be. Gotcha. Because there is a, my understanding is there, well, not my understanding. Maybe that's what quagga muscles are. They're zebra muscles. And when somebody says zebra, they're actually talking about quagga. Perhaps. It's just not marketable. <laughs> um. The Great Lakes frigid fresh water used to keep shipwrecks so well preserved that divers could see dishes in the cupboards. Downed planes that spent decades underwater uh, were left so pristine that they could practically fly again when archaeologists finally discovered them again. Um, the article is over at fizz.org and uh, it, they have a picture here. Oh, the article, by the way, is by Todd Richmond. The, uh, the picture that they have here is of the engine of a Bell P3 uh, fighter jet, if I recall correctly. Let's pull this up. Yeah, so it's a Bell P39. Sorry, P39. I thought it was a P3, but it's P39. Era Cobra military plane in Lake Huron, Michigan. So it's just covered with muscles. I guess they find something to cling on to and do damage relentlessly it's pretty neat for a wreck diver this kind of stuff is both a scourge and still fascinating at the same time it's a shame but nature takes back everything um, eventually <clears throat> well now an invasive muscle is destroying shipwrecks deep in the depths of the lakes forcing archaeologists and amateur historians into a race against time to find as many sites as they can before the region touching touching eight u.s states and the canadian province of ontario loses any physical trace of its centuries-long maritime history i think it's downright impossible to stop this because it's pervasive well, and it's an invasive species, and this has been going apparently for decades, but it must be getting worse, of course, over time. Yeah, eh, climate change. Uh, what you need to understand is every shipwreck is covered with quagga mussels in the lower Great Lakes. Wisconsin State Maritime Archaeologist Tamara uh, Thompson wrote or said, everything, if you drain the lakes, you'll get a bowl of quagga mussels. 
Waga mussels, finger-sized mollusks, and voracious appetites have become the dominant invasive species in the lower Great Lakes over the past 30 years, according to biologists. You know what? I mean, if the mussels were actually tasty, then maybe. That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> could they have like a massive um, fishing or, or whatever event? So, um, the creatures have covered virtually every shipwreck and downed plane on all of the Great Lakes, except for Lake Superior. Archaeologists said the mussel burrows into wood vessels upon uh, building upon themselves in layers so thick that they'll eventually crush walls and decks. Um, they also produce acid that can corrode steel and iron ships. No one's found a viable way to stop them. Um, I don't know. See, there they talk. Oh, zebra mussels. Yeah. So quagga mussels native to Russia and Ukraine were discovered in the Great Lakes in 1989 around the same time as their infamous cousin species, zebra mussels. So I guess they're, well, cousins. Scientists believe the creatures arrived via ballast dumps from transoceanic freighters making their way to Great Lakes ports. Unlike zebra mussels, quaggas are hungrier, hardier, and more tolerant of colder temperatures. They devour plankton and other suspended nutrients, eliminating the base level of food chains. But that's what, maybe because they're hungrier and hardier, they live longer, destroy more. But that's basically what they're talking about. Scooping up suspended nutrients and filter, and basically they're filters. It's kind of weird that we eat them, but... Um, maybe not these mussels. After 30 years, quaggas have displaced zebra mussels as the dominant mussel. So, yeah, I don't know. They don't talk about it as being... Like a food know, source. Yeah, edible. But, you know, researchers have done this before where they've taken some um, food item that was bitter or gross or whatever, and they've... Um, kind of they've grown it into something else um that is tasty and uh, right. we now so the eat problem it. with eating them is that although they're edible they accumulate toxins pollutants and microorganisms so it's not recommended that people eat them that's what all of them do you know right it's similar clams mussels everything shellfish or yeah shellfish in general i mean they're all scooping up all heavy metals and whatnot and nowadays it's plastics microplastics too i've said it twice now in this show it's a serious Let's thing anyway no we are not gonna have a trifecta or in bowling a turkey um i think we're done let's move on to the next article uh, if anybody is really hungry for mussels um go hang out at the great lakes and get some quagga mussels and ideally take them off of shipwrecks yeah just grab a fork go down there don't do that i'm sure somebody will get sick because i say something stupid like that all right let's keep going slowly ah without the transition there we go <laughs> full derp so uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. NASA is dropping an asteroid uh, sample down to Earth, trying to kill a spider in somebody's house. Wait, no, that's not what it says. I don't think that's the headline. Uh, NASA is dropping an asteroid sample down to Earth, and it's landing in Utah. Great. You know what that is means? Is it supposed to land in Utah? 
I don't know, but somebody's gonna sit there and turn it into something that it like an alien story that or it something. Doesn't, well, probably worse than that. Hold on a second. Let me throw this article into. I don't know. Some fanatic wingnut is gonna turn it into something. Gain a bunch of followers and whatever. So, the articles over in Newsweek. Megan Ruse is the author. This has nothing to do with the article, by the way. What to know about no, but asteroid? It does Bennu. have something to do with an asteroid. Yeah, I know, but this, this isn't. They're not talking about the. I don't think they're talking about in this. The um, here, I'll even play it, but it's muted. They're talking about Bennu, but. I don't think that they're talking about dropping a piece of it. So let's see. So, cause they did this, what they did was they sent a probe out. It actually took a large sample um, and then took off. Boink. Um, pretty amazing. Yeah, we sent something out to space. It took a sample and is now bringing it back and it's going to drop it back into Earth orbit. It's actually going to descend down to Earth so that we have a sample of that asteroid. So I think this is actually... Yeah, this video is actually talking about it, but the one that I saw before this was not this. It was an ad. It must have been an ad then. But that's okay. So basically what's going on is they're going to be dropping a sample from Bennu, an asteroid. And uh, the material was collected by NASA's origin, spectral interpretation, resource identification, and security regolith explorer, or uh, OSIRIS-REx. They worked so hard. A capsule from Bennu, an asteroid scientists first discovered in 1999. Osiris Rex collected the material in October 2020 at a targeted spot on Bennu's surface that NASA calls Nightingale, which is going to be an awesome game when it releases. But that has nothing to do with this. So it looks like it actually has already been delivered, right? Because it said is dropping an like asteroid. It. Right. But that, that picture. It sound like it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, it's a rehearsal. That's a rehearsal. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is going to be interesting, but uh, everybody out there who's a writer, start getting ready because <laughs> we're going to hear about all kinds of horror stories coming from uh, a NASA probe returning to Earth and zombies. It's, it's always going to be zombies. Maybe it's going to be those quagga muscles. Maybe we send, send those out into space or something. Mm. The entirety of the Great Lakes, sure. <laughs> I still think that they should just do genetic modification and then make them tastier that way, you know? Breed them selectively so that you can just make them tastier and then let nature do its thing. Reproduce and replace that. The bad ones with the good ones. Anyway... Um, we went and took a sample and brought it back home and dropped it in Utah. I'm not sure why Utah, but okay. 
<laughs> I know. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's not one of our normal space locations, I don't think. Maybe if it's at the bottom of Utah, it's far enough away from any water or anything. I don't, I have no idea why they would choose that. The targeted spot on, um, yeah, it doesn't really say much. The material will arrive this weekend on Earth. NASA is uh, going to be providing live coverage of its landing on Sunday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. Those interested in watching can tune into NASA's channel on YouTube, Facebook, or the website formerly known as Twitter. And no, I will not say what the name is. Don't you find it interesting that a site with a name is constantly referred to its old name? It's part of the marketing process, business-wise, business technique-wise. But uh, just wait until it's going to be... It's the website formerly known as the website <laughs> formerly known as Twitter. It's going to be Twitter, the website formerly known as the website formerly known as Twitter. It's going to be like <laughs> Prince, right? Right. So the sample is expected to land at the U.S. Department of Defense's Utah Test and Training Range. That's why it's being dropped in Utah, uh, located less than 100 miles west of Salt Lake City. So there you go. See, this is how we do our show. We kind of go through this and it's part reactionary news uh, reporting. Uh, we we see it and go, oh my God, this is the most horrible thing that's going to happen. Apparently they're going to be wearing masks as a precaution to make sure that the battery inside the capsule holding the sample isn't releasing toxic fumes. But what about the sample itself? <laughs> well, right. I mean, I'm assuming they're not wearing like hazmat suits or whatever. Well, it's kind of like that train derailment. The water's safe. Go ahead and drink it. This thing is going to be... I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. No zombies. No whammies. Big money. No bad bats. No bad bats. That's all we need. So we had COVID-19. This is going to be COVID-2023. And we're going to have to smack the bad bat asteroid out of somebody's mouth this time. All right, folks. The next article is over in the Marvel Channel. Workers uncover eight mummies and pre-Inca objects while expanding the gas network in Peru. Some archaeologists describe Peru's capital as an onion with many layers of history. Another and others consider it a box of surprises. Both of those are turns of phrase that I use kind of regularly here. Uh, people open Pandora's box and I peel back layers of the onion uh, so that we can actually get to the heart of the BS that gets blown around. Well, what's uh, uh, that's what some gas line workers got when digging uncover when they're digging uncovered eight pre-Inca funeral bales. So. Basically, you wrap them up, tuck them into a hole in the ground, boom, funeral bail. Franklin Briseño, Briseño, I'm going to assume that that's how it's pronounced, over at fizz.org, put the article together. Quote, we are recovering those leaves of the lost history of Lima that is just hidden under the tracks and streets. Jesus Bahamonde, uh, an archaeologist at Calida, the company that distributes natural gas in the city of 10 million people said Friday. Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So 
when you're an archaeologist, you're out getting chasing grant money and whatnot. This person is coined as being an archaeologist at a gas company. Yeah, that's pretty incredible that that even exists. I don't it, think we have anything like that in the U.S. That it cares and does it care? Is it are they a contract worker brought in as a representative of Kalita to do the archaeological work? Because if they're a full-time employee that's doing archaeological work while they are doing gas, you know, mining, drilling, uh, excavation, etc., that's pretty amazing. Because here in the States, I think people don't hold me to this because I, I, I could be off a little bit. But um, here in the States, if a company doesn't need it, like 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 100 hours a week, you're not full time. You're basically a gig worker hourly or contractually and you're brought in, you charge your billable hours and then you have to go hustle somewhere else, you know, keep your shingle out there. Um, this is really fascinating. He said the company's excavation work uh, to expand its system of gas lines over the last 19 years has produced more than 1900 archaeological finds of various kinds including mummies pottery textiles those have mostly been associated with burial sites on flat ground so yeah well, maybe the reason they have so many discoveries is because they have an archaeologist on the staff yeah that's amazing and they're embracing their history you know not like how i perceive it there's a lot of places that are like eh, we're tired of this crap let's just keep it buried. like this is getting in the way of modernization yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. that is awesome so here's to kalita at least at first blush you know when you you know how you get told don't meet your heroes <laughs> it might be <laughs> like that you know yeah we don't know anything about this company yeah they could be completely... but this does look like a positive <laughs> yeah this this definitely is coming across as a positive the company uh, the uh, city has more than 400 larger archaeological sites that have turned up uh, scattered throughout the the urban landscape known as huacas i guess uh in the indigenous quechua language those adobe constructions are on top of hills considered sacred places neat so they were uh, trenching something and they found some uh, remains and uh, they go into archaeology mode and verify the site and document it and everybody comes out on the other side more informed archaeologists found the bodies next to opium smoking pipes handmade cigarettes shoes chinese playing cards a peruvian silver coin minted in 1898 and a certificate of completion of an employment contract written in spanish and dated 1875 at a hacienda south of lima <laughs> i mean that's really cool because that's then they can amazing glean some more information it gives it context it it shows the time frame for when somebody might have interacted at that level. Well, um, and it gives them an exact date for reference, which you don't normally have. Yeah. Well, I mean, of at least not that interaction, least, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Not necessarily when these were placed, buried, or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So the eight burial bundles were found near some braised chicken restaurants and a road that leads to Peru's only nuclear power station. Wow. 
pretty amazing. And I love this stuff. This was my first passion. I wanted to do this until um, I was told that I was going to end up digging up bodies. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe anthropology is more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it starts with A. And then I completely derailed and went somewhere else. So anyway, pretty neat. Let's keep on going. Got a few more articles. This next article is in hometown daily. We, uh, I've named this segment flamingoing all over the place because for some strange reason, flamingos are now ending up, what all over the Eastern half of the United States. Yes. Um, and it's supposedly all because of the hurricane Adelia. Yeah. Flamingos in Wisconsin, tropical birds visit Lake Michigan beach and a first for the Northern state. They attracted a big crowd of onlookers eager to see the unusual visitors. This is over at abcnews.go.com. It's from the Associated Press, so it doesn't have an actual byline. Five flamingos that showed up in Wisconsin to wade along a Lake Michigan uh, beach attracted a big crowd of onlookers eager to see the unusual visitors venturing far from their usual tropical setting, says the deck statement for this article. This weather is not good for them, I don't think. Would it? I mean, it's starting to get... That's what's concerning is like if they don't return to where they need to be, uh, I don't think they're going to do too well in the winter. Hmm. So the bird stored, uh, stood quietly 25 feet off Lake Michigan's western shoreline as waves lapped against their thin legs. Man, that's rude. Maybe they those flamingos could have some thick thighs there. What? Why judge them like that? Why? Why thin shame them? That's, that's wrong. Three were adults identified by their pink plumage and two were juveniles clad in gray. That's because they're goth. <laughs> most definitely. They must be like teenagers or something. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to wear pink. Jim Edelhuber of Waukesha. I'm probably pronouncing that way wrong considering it's Wisconsin. Um, it might be Waukesha. Um, was among a crowd of about 75 bird enthusiasts drawn to the city's South Beach after word spread on social media about the flamingo's appearance there. This is huge. This is unbelievable, said Edel Huber. Um, an avid bird watcher and photographer. The sighting was unexpected, but not a total shock because there were recent reports of flamingos in Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, they've basically... Uh, according to the reports blown all over the states <laughs> i mean that's kind of funny when you think about it in the abstract just like a typical ring yeah there. yeah it's pretty fascinating debbie gasper of port washington made the short trip to the lakefront with her husband mark she said that before friday the only flamingos she'd seen have been on a couple's trip to aruba <laughs> Oh, man. Flamingos in Lake Michigan. Watch them flourish and become an invasive species. Maybe they like to eat quagga mussels. There you go. Go for it, flamingos. They might be the solution. And the universe provides. That's what it is, right? They. <laughs> That's right. There was a need. Let me throw this 
article into the chat. Da -dun. And we're going to go on to the next article. Two more remaining. The last one is the one that's really going to throw people. Uh, this next article is in the Mobile Channel. Salt water pushing into Mississippi River could compromise Louisiana drinking water. This sounds really horrible if it's going to start contaminating it. Because everything is low-lying. So if salt water contaminates the drinking water, the water table, something the the dynamic changes, everything shifts. Drinking water in some parts of Louisiana is facing a risk from salt water, resulting in the Bayou State Governor's John Bell Edwards saying he is only a number of days away from asking for an emergency declaration from the federal government. This is pretty fascinating, right? Tara Suter over at uh, thehill.com put this article together. I don't know. Let me refresh this. Maybe the... Nope. So... Um, it's hit or miss on some websites if the material is going to be um, related. So let's let me throw that um, URL into the chat and let's talk about this for a moment. Drinking water in some parts of Louisiana is facing risk from the salt water resulting in the Bayou State's governor saying that there's an emergency days away because the Mississippi River is facing a crisis of salt water making its way up the waterway from the Gulf of Mexico. It has so to how be is because that even happening. It has to be because of a temperature inversion. Cold water sinks. Oh, like it affects how the water is flowing or something. So it's it's uh, like subduction. It's dropping down and the water is slowly eking its way up. It has to be that. So let's find out if it actually is that. Um, it says Plaquemines Parish in the southeastern portion of the state is, as of now, under a drinking water advisory from high salt water levels. Um, and bottled water is being handed out to residents. Oh, God, that's horrible. Um, they're not saying, it doesn't say at all why. So her office said that it would allow the city's agencies to thoroughly prepare for and respond to any impending impending impacts but it's going to change the entire biology the entire ecosystem of the region well you're right i mean all the animals uh yeah that's not i was trying to find another thing sir yeah, the, the drought the is part of the problem um yeah so there isn't enough water coming down to force the salt water out because the delta is basically just intruding further in because there's more salt water on one side. And if it's yeah. colder, or I should say if the salt water is warmer and salt water is more buoyant, it's going to pull itself up any level area and then siphon its way down into the waterway. So into the water table itself. So it can now contaminate Apparently wells. they're trying to build kind of an underwater levee to stop this but uh, goodness yeah i mean that's a pretty big deal because you're right it's going to affect the whole and the mississippi river goes for a long distance so yeah well i don't know by the way mm -mm. the flamingos do eat things like mollusks so oh. although i was making a ridiculous comment they might actually be able to help with that problem yeah you're really quiet by the way so this whole time i think you've been really quiet Sorry. But I hadn't changed anything, so I don't know what's going on. 
Anyway. Yeah, we'll be fine. Um, the uh, Let's go on to the last article for today. This one is uh, in Omtown Daily, and Samsung's new ploy is to get kid. Sorry, not is to get. It's Samsung's new ploy to get kids off iPhones is a Mr. Beast sponsorship. So earlier this year, investment bank uh, Piper Sandler published results from an annual survey showing that 87% of teens own an iPhone, leaving precious little market for Android device makers to carve up. But Samsung has a new plan. Break the kids of their Apple addiction by getting a YouTuber and restaurateur, Jimmy Donaldson, a.k.a. Mr. Beast, to make content with its phones, starting with a video where he drives expensive cars around. So um, the article's over at The Verge. You know what? Before I get into that, let me throw this. I mean, they might be onto something here. You think so? Uh, yeah, because think how much influence people, especially kids, probably get from Mr. Beast. watching YouTube videos and Mr. Beast. Yeah, because, you know, Mr. Beast is really relatable considering he's about to noodle around with a $300 million car. So the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra is now Mr. Beast's official vlog cam. So Wes Davis over at The Verge put the article together. And really, the entertainment value of this is kind of off the chart because I actually ended up watching this video. Um, both. So it's I already wanted... working. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give up my iPhone and switch to a flip phone or a folding phone from Samsung. No, that's not going to happen. Um, Samsung writes in its announcement that this will showcase what's possible with a Galaxy smartphone for aspiring and professional creators. Yet naturally, uh, it's at a more approachable price point, but it's because Samsung, which is a juggernaut, uh, <laughs> isn't a vertical. So everything is really cheap. Everything is really inexpensive. You know, um, quality is meh. Uh, the the lifelong value of the product is meh now and android is created by a different company and then they just put it on their device and there's all kinds of people that are competing for the market space whereas apple is a vertical they build their software they build their infrastructure they build all of their hardware they are their supply chain manager they're not going to third parties for a lot of their stuff. I mean, they are in terms of manufacturing, but they don't have a whole bunch of different phones. They have iPhone. Um, so their price is rather expensive because of the materials they use, the infrastructure that's in place, the entire ecosystem around it. So I, I, I get why some people will purchase a non-Apple phone because there's a plethora of reasons why. But are you... I, if you're making your choice to buy a phone off of what Mr. Beast is doing when he's tooling or around... anybody else on YouTube. <laughs> uh, now, see, that... 
if you base it off of reviews where you're taught where somebody is talking about it right like mkbhd is talking about the material the the device okay, yeah that's true but just um, anybody holding one or just whatever but this is the this is the thing right so he is driving this car one car after another around by the way it starts way back here and there's ads um and i'm gonna mute it just so that you can see right he goes from a one dollar car that is driven off a cliff immediately to a 100 million dollar car that is a prototype etc uh supercar or whatever it is i don't even know i think it's like gold plated or something um well halfway through is an ad for the galaxy z flip 5 um and then it says with a nod to the s23 ultra while mr beast drives a prototype two million dollar hydrogen car he's got an entire production team behind him so everything that's being recorded is being yeah kind of punched up quite a bit it it's disingenuous to sit there and say you use this phone you can be mr beast oh now, absolutely the isn't aspir- that kind of what kids are going to take away from it yeah, exactly and i know this from experience i've been told by kids that well although i may not be mr beast it's motivation to try and i'm like yeah i i, I get that it's inspirational but this is an ad this isn't giving you all of the benefits of it and and kind of neuter in how it is explaining it right it's massive glitz and glam and professional production wrapped around an ad to sell you a want that you wouldn't normally have if all you did was see the data and that's kind of to me that's a problem that it's trying to shift people's perception of a product using something that's way beyond the scope of that product without all of that infrastructure behind it call me more pragmatic or maybe even cynical i don't know um but i don't like punching you're not it a up. good marketing target <laughs> And considering what my <laughs> specialty is, um, yeah, uh, I, I <laughs> like you don't want to be sold something if you don't want to have it, right? But isn't that all of marketing? <laughs> that's I mean, kind it. of. That's exactly what it is. I but it, this is aimed at kids. This is that's the intent of this. That they're talking about it specifically to to kids. 87% of teens own a phone. They're not talking about 18 year old, 19 year old. They're talking about, you know, 12 to 17, 12 to 16. Yeah. I don't know. It just bugs me. Um, but Mr. Beast is a beast economically. And so for him, this is a gig. Um, although a lot of people respect him. And um, he's seemingly pretty down to earth, but except for the fact that he's driving around in a. Let's go look. I won't play the whole ad. Y'all can go and look at that 
uh, or not ad, sorry, the video. Um, I've just skipped various ads. So I don't know what the, these cars are. Uh, this might actually just because it's been a, a modernized old car. It's a hundred million dollar car that he's driving around in right now. Um, wow. I mean, that's a cool car. Whoa, he just dropped. But oh, he lost his hat. <laughs> but that doesn't make me want to buy a phone. Right. I think the idea here is that this was all recorded on the Galaxy Z Flip 5. Um, because it says here, including... So, there are glimpses of the S23 Ultra mounted inside cars throughout the rest of the video and a couple of links in the description, including one behind-the-scenes video uploaded by Samsung. Otherwise, it's very much just a Mr. Beast video. But the second half of the ad... Of, I keep saying ad. The second half of the video... <laughs> Isn't that what it is? <laughs> is a Samsung ad, uh, which, again, I understand the concepts of it, uh, but it's pushing an ideal and marketing it to kids to pivot away from whatever they have, which for one reason or another, uh, somebody has chosen iPhone. So I, as long as everybody's competing and I'm getting a better product, I suppose it's fine as an adult, but as a kid, it's leveraging- That's the part that bothers me. <laughs> yeah, it's leveraging the charisma of Mr. Beast to try and sell kids on a new, galaxy flip which is it's going to involve a bunch of kids either saving up money and buying the galaxy flip um, or going to mom and dad and saying hey mr beast has it i want it to um and that the well hope we all is... know the answer to that <laughs> <laughs> if mi sure. mr beast yeah, yeah. did whatever if... are you gonna follow suit you know what? I would probably say if Mr. Beast is going to drive around in a $100 million car, I'll get you a flip phone as soon as you <laughs> are driving around in a $100 million car. <laughs> so get to making content. Go, creator, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is pretty wild. Um, so I won't. Uh, oh, see, they even talk about it down here at the bottom of the article. That's pretty funny. Um, the blue bubble peer pressure theory about teens iPhone preference would imply Samsung's efforts are doomed, but Hey, maybe a $1,000 folding phone is the right phone to challenge that theory with the blue bubble. If you don't know about it and welcome round Rando. Thank you very much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Uh, kids buying a galaxy flip just because a billionaire drives a $100 million car. It's not actually his, but, uh, yeah yeah that's exactly what this marketing is um and for those who don't know what the blue bubble is the blue bubble peer pressure theory is that nobody wants to go over to android and be the odd person out because all of the iphone iMessages are blue and when you're the odd person out you're green and so nobody oh, wants to be the I green. Don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had this conversation uh, because of what I do all day. Um, and uh, I've been told it, it's, it's literally peer pressure. Nobody wants to be on not part of the group because sometimes there's technical differences where an image or a video won't make it across to anybody um, except for 
the blue versus the green. The green doesn't get it. Um, or there's some kind of communication break. It's just really fascinating. Um, but other than that, uh, I just want them all competing, fighting for my dollars, making their products better, making their services better. And no Mr. Beast is going to, there isn't a Mr. Beast on the planet that's going to have me sway from my observations of the materials. Like I might watch a review if he does a solid review and it isn't patently biased. Um, but odds on, I, I suppose the moment that he's off the air and, and not being paid to pump Samsung products, he, he might be on some other device, you know, like right away. So, uh, Rando says that, um, they saw Mr. B's video and the ad part was just weird. Yeah, I agree. It was an odd transition and I don't really watch Mr. B's videos. Um, but it was like a, a hard pivot over, um, to the, the phone and his counterpart in the passenger seat is the one that like folds the phone real slowly. Like that's going to impress me. Um, and then Rando says, uh, I was really wondering who are the people that buy this phone after that ad? Uh, yeah. The people that buy this phone are people that hero worship Mr. Beast. Um, and whose parents, um, won't say no. <laughs> right. Cause I think the fact that we're even discussing purchasing these types of phones for kids is a whole other issue that we can't get into in this show but yep, yep. that would be a whole nother episode <laughs> yeah this is it i find it interesting on a, a multiple levels because i i tend to talk uh outside of hometown and here in the stream um from that crossroads of business technology and society and that's all three of them right here like this is a microcosm of the trifecta that i talk about um this person is only talking about this because they were paid to talk about it in their, in their regularly scheduled content, right? Like this video would have been made without that advertisement slammed into the end of it. And it's the second half from the, the middle part on it has little highlights of the S 23 and Samsung products. Well, Samsung phones. Um, anyway, that's it for tonight, folks. Um, we always drag you kicking and streaming like a Halloween special to the kicking mainstream. and streaming screaming. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was a, a pun. I get, well, no, uh, because I'm getting ready for Halloween. I I want to inject a little bit of Halloween stuff into it. Every show. Until Halloween. Anyway. So we always bring you back and then uh, to Main Street. And then we whack that logo. And uh, we scroll down to try and find something while you're here in chat. Um, and if you find something that you are interested in over in hometown.com, You can send the mayor an email. Um, I'm still working on a solution for stopping the spammers uh, from <laughs> contacting me via submissions. 
but you can also throw something into the chat. That's always uh, operational for me. You can always email mayor at hometown.com. I get that too. Okay, so what else? Do you find anything really interesting in here? What is Hugging Face is the new GitHub for LLMs, man? I have wow. no idea what that is. I wonder. Uh, that might actually be not. I'll have to look at it, but I think Hugging Face is um, it's a website where you can get uh, artificial intelligence um, data sets, the LLMs, the large language models. Um, and maybe it's expanded beyond what I thought, because I remember Hugging Face um, that maybe it was the source for um, graphics, AI graphic generators. Um, but I don't know. I'll have to take a look at it after the show. What else? There's all kinds of content. It's just <laughs> you doing okay? The AI is throwing an error message. Oh yes, I was just scanning the gotcha the articles. Let's see here. DC's new Green Lantern Shepherd has one huge difference to every other version. So I guess Green Lantern is coming back. I think every iteration of a Green Lantern from DC has kind of fallen flat, but maybe it's just my bias. I have yet to see a good Green Lantern. Definitely campy versions, but not, you know, MCU style. How about this honey flavored gin makes the perfect bee's knees cocktail? I didn't even know that was a cocktail. A bee's knees? Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can always throw that in there. I mean, tomorrow is Sunday though, right? So if you're, if you're heavily drinking on Sunday night, I guess you're preparing for Monday morning <laughs> <laughs> and going into work. Uh, Spy Kids Armageddon 11 Easter eggs and references to the original movies. Um, this has been popping up in, in various uh, submissions here um, because people are uh, talking about spy kids movie. I guess it's really popular for kids. And so um, spy kids is like showing up and you should watch spy kids. Um, you know, this October, I don't know why though. I haven't looked at any of it. How one sci-fi disaster movie flop breaks more laws of physics than Michael Bay's Armageddon explained by Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> that might be interesting. I hadn't seen that one. That might be a good one. Yeah, we'll catch that for tomorrow. Um, other than that, other than that, um, there's nothing but news here. All news, no noise, except for the channel for this stream. We always talk about stuff from kind of a, a snarky humor centric position until I start soapboxing. So stay tuned. Be sure to follow. Go over to YouTube and download that. Be sure to follow us over there. Download the podcast, leave a five-star review, and I'll quote whatever it is you say in the review. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Patreon. There's a Discord. We're everywhere. We're, wait. Everything, everywhere, all at once. 
And boy, if I don't get a lawsuit thrown at me real quick to cease and desist making that statement, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what is. Anyway, thanks everybody for those who stopped by. Appreciate it. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. And nothing Night else. Hometown, no, just kidding. Go ahead. You can say whatever you want. Bye bye. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I'm not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Called my bluff. Mm-hmm.